Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Psychosocial Distancing Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Daniel Chadbourne. With me, as always, is Thomas Brooks. Oh, hi. Hey there. Hi. How's it going? Um, it's going okay. <laughs> Just all right. <laughs> Just all right. Um, a little better now that we're going to be talking about... Um, Oh, I guess I shouldn't say it's a little better now that we're going to be talking about the decline of religious systems. Maybe that's not. <laughs> Maybe that's not okay. Better, yeah. Um, but we're going to kind of continue this discussion. We talked a little bit about new atheism movements mm-hmm. um, and maybe kind of touching a little bit in that long kind of jarbled rant about who they are and what they do on why mm-hmm. these systems decline. Um, and we're going to kind of kind of continue that discussion but, but also expand it to, to really get into sort of, you know, again, kind of talking about maybe why some of these systems came about in the first place and then sort of how they've changed over time with um, a little bit on that kind of like increased individualism um, mm-hmm. with, with kind of a modern, I'll say modern American, but modern Western society, I guess. Um, yeah, like contemporary U.S. landscapes. Right. Right. So I, I guess we could get started by kind of, you know, talking about the, the, the nature of that, this, this idea of uh, religious systems as a guess moral backbone or mm-hmm. perceived moral backbone um, or as a way to kind of surveil and maintain order in a growing community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think if you were to ask our dear friend, Dr. Boomer Hyatt, he would say that religions are the backbone and are responsible for maintaining moral integrity within society, essentially. Um, And he takes a very, like, he's not, like, advocating specifically for a particular religious system, but he does say that that's kind of a key ingredient for moral behavior or yeah moral behavior throughout you know civilizations yeah that's one and, of the, the pillars of moral foundations basically right mm-hmm. you need the religions in order to develop your moral foundation orientation essentially yeah he does water that down a little bit i remember reading like the first big hey moral foundations is a theory this is a thing paper and uh one of the things that i pulled from that wasn't that it's just like it's, it's not just religion, but it's particularly like the leaders in the community. And mm-hmm. so I, I think there's, it's maybe a little watered down in that paper and maybe he's taken it further um, in, in future work or in, in work that came after. But the idea that like, sure, your, your, um, your rabbi or your, your pastor, or whoever can be that kind of like moral anchor um, but also other leaders in the community can also do the same thing or kind of fill the same role as like, this is someone I can look to as an example of a moral figure or to to s- kind of say certain moral messages. And then that's part of one of those four pillars of where I gain my moral systems from. Mm-hmm. And I would say that I, this may be a disagreement I have with Hype, but I think that the actual structure of the religion itself is probably more powerful than what kind of leadership exists within that structure, if that makes sense. And so I'm thinking of like early 
spiritual traditions or particularly like Eastern spiritual traditions with like ancestor mm -hmm. beliefs and how uh, our behavior and thoughts and actions in this life are carried out uh, with the assumption that your ancestor's grandma is watching you from beyond the grave and that you'll have to answer to her for what you did in this life after you die. And so there's kind of like this surveillancey moral imperative to make sure that you uphold your ancestral honor in your actions and thoughts in this life. And so you may have like a priest at the church mm -hmm. or the temple, but I feel like grandma probably has more sway than that religious leader because oh, she can would watch you at home. <laughs> I mean, you kind of argue that that like even having like a central deity um, or figurehead is probably still less powerful than like my family is watching me mm -hmm. or like the members of my community are like keeping tabs on me in the afterlife. And like they'll be hell to pay if I don't show up, um, you know, a good person or, or I want to join them. It's again, mm -hmm. not just about the, the, the central figure. Um, you know, I, I think of you know, growing up Catholic, I was a little less worried about like God seeing what I did and more about you know, grandma and grandpa looking down upon me from heaven. Um, mm -hmm. Witnessing behavior was probably a much stronger push. Uh, right. That's a little bit more visceral. And I can imagine yeah. like in some of the ancient uh, human like dwellings that we, that people like dig up where they have like family members are buried under the floorboards of the houses. I'm sure that's really intense because yeah. like not only are they above you watching but they're also below you listening from underneath the crawl space <laughs> yeah pretty much um so yeah like if we go back to the very beginning of this i i guess we kind of can preface sort of like where some of this comes from i mean it's it's not it's not that you really need some sort of like ancestor worship or um, system in place to kind of institute moral code, you, you have these sort of social systems in place. And if I, I go back to um, stuff that I learned working under um, Matt Rosano with, with kind of an evolutionary perspective, we learn as a, a species that, that social cooperation and that kind of engaging what we would call today in like moral action pro-social versus egoistic uh, behavior is going to be more beneficial for us. Mm -hmm. um, I remember an example that, that, that he had used was that you have these two um, early hominids and one is, is making kind of shaft, feathered shafts for arrows and one is really good at chipping arrowheads. And the one who can make shafts like walks up and hits the one who makes arrowheads over the head with a rock, kills him, takes all the arrowheads for his own. And he could probably survive a little longer than that, you know, at, at that point. But at some point, he's going to run out of arrowheads and he's not good at making them. And so at some point, he also does not survive engaging in sort of selfish, uncooperative behavior. But we can kind of look at how cooperation may have sort of an underpinning that we've kind of learned that cooperation is something that helps us because if instead they communicate in some fashion, they trade, they continue to trade, they rely on one another. Both of them live. Both of them have offspring. Those offspring learn from their parents to trade and work together and so forth and so on. 
Um, and, and in a small community, I guess my, my point with this is in a small community, that's pretty easy to maintain. The community mm-hmm. itself can keep up with other members of the community. Someone wants to be selfish. Someone wants to break a rule. Someone wants to, to violate cultural norms. You've only got 30, 40 people in your tribe. It's easy to point that person out and say, it's John Hominid who's doing it. <laughs> John Hominid, that dang John. <laughs> um, but as this society gets bigger, it becomes a lot more difficult. And we start to see kind of more codified religious systems and religious structures and roles that revolve around that when we start getting bigger. I mean, what's the, uh, the current research says we can typically only keep around 50, you know, keep tabs on around about 50 people. That's like, I think it was 150. That still kind of makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe with the, the internet, I mean, it not makes you it easier. personally. Right, but like 150 people as a community can keep taps on each other pretty well. Yeah, it was the I was getting down to the personal level. Oh, like, right, like personal. 50. It's like 25 to 50 people before it becomes really difficult to maintain anything more than like in the now information. Mm-hmm. So like you're you're seeing their stuff on Twitter or Facebook or something like that. Um, but we tend to find that like our close knit kind of communal groups can't really extend beyond that without us losing some people to the outskirts. Right. Um, kind of having to choose who do we follow and who do we not. Um, and so, yeah, you, you end up with a society that's starting to get bigger and 50 to 150 people isn't big. You're getting into thousands. You're starting mm-hmm. to see cities, you know, towns, communities build up. You start to become kind of fractured in that regard. And how do you make sure um, everyone's doing the right thing? Mm-hmm. you use religion <laughs> yeah yeah that that you kind of create build morality into uh the religion system as well or build the rules of the tribe or the rules that aid in survival into those systems i mean mm-hmm. probably the biggest example of this we want to think about it from a historical standpoint is probably like early books in the bible um everyone likes to cite leviticus uh, but it says things like, don't eat shellfish. Well, why not eat shellfish? Well, because you can't preserve shrimp and mm. you will get sick. And if you get sick, you will die. And mm. so we need to codify that within the religious system. Or, you know, I mean, it also says like, don't crop rotate. But, you know, we, we've learned you should things. probably crop rotate. We've learned things since then. Um, you know, multi-weave fabrics are fine. Um, but you know, we kind of like build these things into those, those systems, uh, to guide the community in, in kind of certain directions. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one thing to codify those behaviors, right? Like an illegal mm-hmm. system, but one of the problems is, and we've discussed this both in terms of children and students, um, just because the rules are in place doesn't mean they're going to follow them and they're right. going to try their darndest to break them because humans at their core love breaking rules. It's exciting. <laughs> um, but uh, so what you need, not only just like the code of repercussions that exist, but you also need to make sure that the people are not only like surveying each other, but surveying themselves against those and so yes. it gets pretty uh what is it panoptic yeah so the idea of the uh 
circular prison with the guard tower in the center um you never know when you're being watched or if there's anybody in the guard tower you don't even necessarily need to put anybody in the guard tower just some amorphous deity will suffice and people will monitor their own behavior and the behavior of those around them in order to preserve like long-term keep from experiencing long-term consequences of that rule breaking well to throw a little like normal you know or i guess standard psychology into this again that, that kind of ties into like the intrinsic versus the extrinsic motivation that it, it, it moves away from like i'm only doing this because of the afterlife and there there is that mindset you know when especially like something that didn't come up with our talk of atheism that the talk of like well what keeps you from like murdering someone and if you ask your average atheist that question they're going to go because i don't want to kill anyone like what, mm-hmm. what kind of question is that like of course I don't want to hurt people. It has nothing to do with like next life punishment. It just has everything right. to do with me not wanting to hurt. Um, but that would be a very in- like extrinsic versus intrinsic comparison that if you don't do it because you just, why would I want to do that? Like, um, and it ties a lot into like the psychology of motivation and reward structure and whatnot. Um, it's one of the reasons why like getting paid every two weeks or every month will actually keep you doing your job more than if you got paid every day because the second mm-hmm. you don't get paid that reward's not there and in this case the reward is the end of your life and so right. you, you go through day after day after day after day not engaging in these behaviors you do it not really not thinking about the end goal as much you're doing it because in the end because you don't want to Mm-hmm. it's intrinsic it's internal so are we are we suggesting that people become more religious as they age because of sunk cost fallacy <laughs> well there's also that too i mean you've got cognitive dissonance that builds into it you've got other aspects um i've been alive for too long <laughs> gotta right. write it out now <laughs> right i mean but like we could also compare that to like even if you're not you might have that kind of like coming to God or coming to religion later on in your life because you're dealing with like what Erickson stages, um, ego integrity versus despair. Uh, and then the one before that is, um, ah, I can't remember Erickson today. Um, but basically like, do you feel in tune with your life? Um, do you feel that you've lived a meaningful life or do you feel that it's been wasted and you might want to like comp generativity versus stagnation yeah you need to give back and religion's a great vehicle for that yeah and it can also help with that ego integrity towards the end like everything kind of clicks into place and you feel that everything's been meaningful you don't fear death Mm -hmm. um if you succeed at that last stage and um yeah um so there's a lot that kind of plays into some of this but but it, it ultimately comes down to societal control (laughs) <laughs> the mm-hmm. the eye um and it's not necessarily a bad thing i mean we want people to follow positive group norms um we do run into problems when like those norms change over time or when like one group's norms butt heads with another group's norms and ultimately those norms really don't mean a whole lot for a society but those groups feel really strongly about those norms and i'm sure i can come up with about a dozen controversial topics to plug in there um, where groups might kind of combat um, or really difficult for like one group who has been kind of perceiving that surveillance or a person has been kind of perceiving that surveillance for a very long time 
worried about like this is a really bad thing like this is this is going to damn these other people to hell if they don't um conform Mm -hmm. and they don't know um but i know because i've been you know doing it for 50 years (laughs) right i have access to the secret knowledge yeah so yeah so like like from a survival standpoint um and we do have examples of this uh early christianity um seems to be one of the like like the the tribal groups that that held those pro-social do good on earth you will then get good in heaven um those pro-social norms helping the least of us kind of stuff um tend to promote survival and so those are groups that are going to survive especially in um you know pre-history middle east uh, Mm -hmm. or pre-codified judaism christianity in the middle east um Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so that's why we need surveillance or you know at some degree because large groups religion does a great job of promoting in-group harmony for that reason because we're watching ourselves and watching each other um i think one of the shifts in religious structure that we see is between the uh and like the last hundred years to get us up to where we are now and leading into Mm -hmm. our like neo-atheism neo-pagan period um is the shift from the what's called the discipline society to the control society Mm -hmm. and so like one of the things that Christians are fretting about with good reason in the United States is that um, church attendance is super down, right? It's mostly older people. There's not getting a lot of new blood in. People aren't really like refreshing the generational church anymore Um, with exceptions of like, I'm sure the Catholics are fine. um, And I'm sure the evangelicals are fine. But all of these mainline Christian traditions of like, here's the building you go to, here is the pastor, here you go and you sit for like an hour, two hours and receive the message and etc. That is on its way out. And I think it's funny because most churches don't see it as like a national trend, but it is a national trend. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times it's like, oh, well, we're just an old church or we're a small town church. This is why this is happening to us. But it's happening in mass, right? Yeah. And this is running. And I don't necessarily think it's a religious problem. I mean, it is a religious problem, but it's more of a uh, institutional problem, right? Because like even at our school, I think we have more online students than we do in-person students, you figure? Uh, Yeah, it depends on the program depends on the program like so universities are experiencing similar crises Mm -hmm. of enrollment um a lot of work is moving out of specific locations and moving to digital or you know gig stuff so like the era of you have a schedule and here are these institutions that you stop at for particular hours out of the day where you're watched in a room by a priest by a teacher by your boss or manager or whatever that's coming to an end and then so like you go to the institution you leave you go to a new one you leave that is ending particularly after covid but Mm -hmm. was kind of already on its way out 
to begin but, with. And, and I guess the question is, is like, why? Because they, this isn't something that was new. I would argue that even without COVID, without widespread use of the internet, we would, well, maybe the internet's upping information. Mm-hmm. Um, because definitely for some people leaving, it's a disconnect with their group. Like it's, it's again, like, I think we talked about that a little bit with the, the neo-atheism discussion of I'm a, I'm an individual and my group just can't quite tap into my specific kind of belief system mm-hmm. or, or, I mean, I even wonder too, like you drive through, drive through any small town in Texas, I'll use Texas as an example for this. Perfect there's, example. There's not just one church. There's like a dozen of them. Yeah. And like, so it's like a 10,000 person size town. There's like 10 churches <laughs> at minimum. And so you have a lot of people who are now moving. The accessibility to kind of get out of your home can be, we could say, is maybe bigger than ever, better than ever. Um, it could be really hard to find mm-hmm. a church that fits you or a church that kind of like matches your old church because you've had this, you know, this one pastor for the last 20 years. Um, and I think that sentiment might be the key finding the church that fits for you. Like that was not a concern a hundred yeah. years ago. Like you went yeah. to the church because it was the church. It was the only one. And that's where your family went. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like consumerist religion. Like, mm, I like this church because of the pastor, but I really like this church because of the music. And like, I feel better at this church than at this church. And so now you have a bunch of like consumers chasing churches around the country, essentially, especially with the internet, right? Like Mm -hmm. my family is super guilty of this in that they have like their home churches, Mm -hmm. but they attend live streams and have attended live streams of churches since like 2005 for like churches in Missouri and churches in Montana, because that fits their, that matches what their, like their, you know, spiritual consumer desires more so than like the Hellfire Baptist at, you know, Victory Baptist or Calvary or whatever. So so we can make a potential argument that, and I'm, I'm going to play the role of you in this, um, in this conversation. We can make the potential argument that part of the decline of religious systems in the United States is because of capitalist mentality. Mm-hmm. I would say so, because you can point to all the other institutions, right? Like mm-hmm. one of the problems with universities is that it's a consumer student mindset, which oh. I don't blame them for because they have to pay for everything here. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And and then for like students, we, we had that issue uh, when, when I, when I taught in Louisiana, there was a, there's a popular school there and there was someone on that board who called the institution that I worked at the iron curtain on the interstate. <laughs> Because it was kind of in between New Orleans and their school. And so University of New Orleans is where the people in that end of the state would go, the southern mm-hmm. end. And then the people in the northern end of the state would go, it was LSU. They, they go to LSU. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're in the middle of that, you're siphoning those middle line students, the students in those rural areas, to you instead of them. Right. And because we're in that, like, we got to make as much money, we got to get as many students, we got to keep enrollment up. And the same for the students, the students are going to say, like, wait a second, I can get a quality education at a third the cost. 
at this institution instead of going to the big statewide institution. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm, I'm going to go where it's cheap and I can get mm -hmm. the same education. Um, that, that we're kind of seeing the same thing with, with churches. Uh, if I can go get the same thing online uh, through, through a live stream, if I can get that same sense of community through message boards and subreddits or on Twitter with my, my followers who are also religious, mm -hmm. do, I, do I need to be as concerned? Um, About the dying Methodist church down the street. Right, exactly. exactly. And that, that, that mentality, that like free hand of the market mentality, if that church is dying, it's got to be something that they're doing. Mm -hmm. It can't be a societal thing. It can't be me or a personal thing. It's something about them. Mm -hmm. And I would say a very similar aspect of it too goes with like our work lives that have mm -hmm. moved. Well, one, we broke the nine to five rule. Um, yep. But two, we're slowly moving into more digital spaces. And so now we're in a situation where our pastors in our pocket our boss is in our pocket and our teachers in our pocket at the same time. And the phone won't stop going off <laughs> rather than this like segmented society around you go to this building for this amount of time, you go to this building for this amount of time. And then whenever you're not in those buildings, it's all just leisure for you mm -hmm. to do whatever you want to do. Like, do you want to work on the car, mow your lawn, have a hobby because life was predictable and disciplined. And, and to be fair, there are a lot of people who are fine with that and they are getting just as much enjoyment, meaning out of getting it elsewhere. They don't have to go mm -hmm. in, into work to find that same meaning. I, I read an article today um, on the great resignation yeah, that, that, and how it's really worse than we thought, you guys. And obviously this is slanted towards the pro-work argument. And they were like a quarter of people who quit their jobs recently are like, they're saying that like, you know, they, they kind of regret it and they're having trouble in like a, in a changing market. And I was like a quarter. So 75% of people who were involved are, in the great resignation are actually like doing totally better. Cool. <laughs> but like, that's, that's part of it. There are people, like, but that, that's kind of like, like that breakdown when we look at anything like this is that there are people who are like adapting. Mm -hmm. and and finding um more positive outcomes i would say like your your parents if they're able to get that same benefit from a a, a live stream of a sermon in missouri cool um mm -hmm. but they also seem to be balancing their local church too there are a lot right. of people who aren't and but then that like again gets us into that kind of capitalist mindset of like well, you got to sell it up you got to be mm -hmm. like um Oh, I forget the guy's name. I'll see if I could find his information. There, there's a there's a popular exorcism pastor who who's who's made the rounds on YouTube, and man, his stuff is is wild. Mm -hmm. And like, no, it's yeah, uh, brings in views. Like, I don't know. From a personal perspective, I understand why. I understand the spiritual fulfillment of quitting your local church and finding the live stream in Missouri, right? Like, yeah. I understand that. I understand how somebody would be happier with that. Like, my grandmother who has passed did that. 
and she would get up in the morning she'd put on her robe she'd make her coffee and sit in her office and drink her coffee and listen to her pastor in missouri doing a live stream and it was very it was like a morning meditation for her right Mm -hmm. um on the other hand i don't know how i feel about this from like a general social well-being yeah because that is a very isolating like sure you may Mm -hmm. feel pumped up yeah but it's like watching a concert instead of going to one or like live streaming a convention instead of being at it like there is a loss of that community aspect of that shared belief or Mm -hmm. communications about belief or having some sort of like fellowship that you don't get and i think about the parallel with work right like right now we're seeing a huge rise in unionization but when we stopped the nine to five structure unions fell off a cliff and were super unpopular for decades because workers were not in the same room together anymore experiencing the same treatment together and like recognizing and identifying with each other and each other's struggles and like lives and so i I can say even from like like from an academic standpoint i get nothing out of an online conference i want to i'll just mm -hmm. say that for any any anyone who's associated with a conference whoever listens to this i get nothing out of it i hate i just i hate it I, i can't focus on it i can't attend in the same way that I could in person. I don't get to talk to people afterwards. I mean, even in, even in like a standard university setting, I don't like teaching an online class in the same way I like teaching and getting that like immediate feedback. Um, this is an exception. I think it's one of the reasons why we started this podcast mm-hmm. is that it allows us to talk and communicate and have kind of consistent dialogue about all sorts of different topics that I wouldn't have gotten during the pandemic otherwise. Right. Um, and, and, and I don't know, like, like part of where that shift is, is going is, is, is complex, though, is, is sort of like those underlying reasons. We talk about this from like that, that kind of surveillance morality aspect. We're still seeing that from like a, like a governmental sense. I think, we, you know, with programs like PRISM and stuff, I think it's pretty, pretty safe if you're growing up in a modern society and you're not thinking about how the government is monitoring everything that you're doing. You're just not paying attention. Um, mm-hmm. And there's like a there's like a tangible surveillance. You don't have to believe in it; it's happening. Um, but also, like there's that that increased shift, and in, and maybe this has to do with just size of society. As we go from like towns and cities to nations, mm-hmm. it becomes really difficult for the average person to monitor. And mm-hmm. so maybe that's where we see more of that like internal individualistic shift, at least in kind of like contemporary Western society, that shift mm-hmm. to the individual, both philosophically, both on the community level. Um, I don't have to monitor my neighbors. I need to worry about myself. Right. Um, if something does happen that might endanger me, then I might get involved. But, mm-hmm. and that, that's where we see it like taken to the extreme with like people calling the cops for dumb things and stuff like that. Right. Um, but we're seeing this kind of this this individualism that that may be kind of underlying some of that. And maybe that's the kind of where you're, you're getting at with like the idea of like that shift from like a disciplined society to a control society. Um, but I might be going 
No, that's exactly <laughs> where. So the discipline society is, you know, structured with buildings that all look alike. Like there's a running joke about Foucault that he's like, hospitals look like prisons. Schools look like prisons. Your work looks like a prison. Everything looks like prisons yeah. because they're all architecturally designed for the same purpose to survey yeah. and surveil large groups of people at once, which is why you have windows and your classroom door, for example. Mm -hmm. So that way somebody can walk by and peek in and look at you and your students, right? And so you shift to the control society where you're no longer, those buildings have become digitalized and the goal is to keep you consuming and purchasing and distracted in order to control your behavior, right? And so <clears throat> that's one of the things that I find interesting about, you know, like maybe the new atheists, for example, which is why I think they were partially neutered by their own medium mm -hmm. um, because they weren't congregating in person and building a, you know, corporal community. They were creating a spectacle online for other people to consume right and so and, and those that did succeed did do that so like you have like what is it like like the the satanic it's not the satanic the yeah, satanic the temple, temple or the, the jedi order temple and, and there there is a group I, again i forget their name but there is a group that has an actual location it is like a atheist i mean for lack of a better word church they don't mm -hmm. really hold sermons, but they hold meetings and they do like they they like live stream like interviews and they do like a like a, a show every week. Um, but they're physical. The right. people in that community can go there and, and they have a community that's kind of built out of it. And so like they've been more successful than like the flash in the pan. Right. Well, successful in that they created that in-person community, but not yes. successful in what we talked about in curbing the religious power within the government right 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 like the catholics had the last laugh with overturning roe i mean they will because they get the money um so but, but that's what i'm saying right yeah, like no. the catholics are in person they're organized they're yes. networked across the country and the globe they have centuries of wealth and power stocked up and part of that too is just the nature of the internet too. Like we've been talking about it, it kind of deals with that like individual, the, mm -hmm. the individualism that kind of controls society where the algorithm is kind of controlling what you see. It's constantly pumping new information out. And that's why mm -hmm. we have sort of article after article after article saying that like, it's harder for us to concentrate on stuff. It's harder for us to follow this stuff because if you were just going to your church every week, that's all you have to follow. You have yeah. so much free cognitive space. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're on Twitter, it's miserable. If yep. you're on Reddit, if you're on any of these, like, like Facebook, there's just so much information you're being bombarded with so many things to worry about so many things to keep up with. It could become overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And, but that's part of the algorithm. They want you to keep clicking. And then when you get bored, they of clicking, want you to stay overwhelmed. So you don't actually do anything. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing that shift. And as people are becoming overwhelmed, well, they don't have time. Mm -hmm. to go to their in-person church or their in-person meetings or to congregate with their fellow workers mm -hmm. um, or fellow believers yeah fellow students like i was speaking with one of the department heads here while we were at freshman orientation and she was discussing the frustration of offering online courses because 
it's the majority of the students they offer it to like this is in our case in psych because we have students all over the state but theirs is like specifically for las vegas mm -hmm. and she was like we have some that cross list from other online programs so we have to offer them but when we do they get filled up by our majors who are in person on campus in their dorm yeah and they're not walking across the street to be a part of a class they're just taking it online. Yeah. And so it's like, why are you paying for a dorm when you're just going to take it online anyway? But, you know, you miss out on that shared experience. Yeah. And that community and you become more isolated when you do that. So I guess the final so, question is, where is this leading? Well... Because this is a religion podcast, yeah. I uh, found a metaphysical explanation for this. Okay. Written in the stars, if you will. Uh -huh. Yes, it is the fault of the age of Aquarius. <laughs> and so what, what, is, what is the age of Aquarius and I guess what came before it? So, the, so this, this is a little freaky. I'm not going to lie. Like I find this semi... Uh, persuasive so there are astrological ages so for anyone who does like a birth chart for their astrology right so like on the pop astrology level you know people just talk about their sun signs like the that you know 21 days or 30 days that somebody yeah. was born like i'm a virgo you're a sagittarius blah 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 well if you do the actual chart all of us share our last sign. You get multiple signs. I think like 12 signs um, for like your moon and your like mm -hmm. rising sign and where your Venus is, etc. Well, the last one, every, I think the last two, at least right now, everybody shares because it works off planetary rotation. So like everybody has the same Pluto sign right now because Pluto mm -hmm. rotates so slowly. Right. Or orbits the sun so slowly mm -hmm. um but the last one is like the humanity or like the time period so we can think of this like a zeitgeist or an egregore for example and so our recorded history as humans we've only had three ages and so the first age was the age of aries okay. the second one was pisces and now it's debated whether we're still in Pisces or if we've moved into Aquarius or if Aquarius started at enlightenment or if it'll start in a hundred years from now, because astrologers are split and they also have to contend with astronomers who actually do the tracking. Um. <laughs> at, at the very least, we are in a transitional period regardless. So if we're still yes. in it or we're about like, or, or we're just in Aquarius or we're still in Pisces, we're, we're moving between the two or we mm -hmm. have just moved between the two or we will very shortly move. Between yes, exactly. And it could be, and the window is like 400 years. Right. So the age of Aquarius, well, we'll start with the first age, the age of Aries of the Ram or the horned God. And so this was discussed historically through occultism as the period of uh horn deities uh throughout time so pre-christian like uh pan or was it cranunos or mm -hmm. any of the 
earthly pagan deities that were majority worshipped at the time. Um, then we move into the age of Pisces at zero AD. And so the idea, I think there's a poem, a Greek poem uh, about Pan dying when Christ arose. And so Jesus Christ is pictured as the fish God. Yeah, Pisces it's a whole, is the whole, fish. whole new meaning to loaves and fishes. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, and Christ is described as the fisherman among men or the fisherman right. of men. Yeah. And so we've moved through the last 2,000 years in the age of Pisces and the dominance of the Christian church. And now we are in Aquarius or the God child. And so this age is marked by individualism, enlightenment, uh, self-focus, isolation, humanity, existentialism, advocacy, stuff like that. And so very enlightenment value with the age of Aquarius. I, I mean, it is compelling, but it I'm is compelling. Also, I'm also guessing it, it is, is it been written by someone recently. So you can kind of look back and find your own trends. Uh, also... I believe that Crawley, which hopefully we'll have a conversation about Crawley yeah. soon, uh, wrote about the coming of the age of Aquarius Um the age of Aquarius was also very popular in like the sixties and seventies and mm-hmm. the hippie movements that we were moving out of Pisces and into Aquarius and like individual self-determination themes, stuff like that. Hmm. So and I'm, just, that's I'm our, just thinking like, all right, what's the next stage? But like, it doesn't matter. Cause it's going to be like 1500 years. Aquarius for like the next 2000 years. Yeah. Or awesome. let's see, 2160 years. Okay. our enlightened individual oh boy good luck us um <laughs> good luck us so if we look at it from the occult lens there is no saving us uh from this destruction of community um and this kind of tracks with kind of like uh what is it sci-fi speculism of like people living yeah. in pods or like what is it brave new world stuff mm-hmm. As well. yeah yeah i mean it, it kind of gets to a point where like we're just so big it's like it's just hard it's hard like i can't keep up with everyone in our community we're in a small community mm-hmm. um like comparatively speaking like if i lived in albuquerque it'd be even harder like there's no way there are tens of thousands of people you know who live in you know or hundreds of thousands of people who live in cities um we're still kind of either forced to kind of form our own communities form online communities or just try to make it through ourselves and <laughs> the family unit is all that there is because that's all you can keep up with in a busy world um, so i guess it does it does make a lot of sense to me that like that shift these sort of societal shifts um you know where we we kind of see that the origins of of these these communities these these religious communities and, and spiritual groups uh as being tied to kind of tying into that surveillance but mm-hmm. even even today like we talk about fan community uh or we talk about some other like um we'll talk about this next episode with like some of these consumerist uh neo-pagan um communities they're still very individual it's about self-betterment mm-hmm. personal betterment understanding oneself it's kind of like advanced self-help through star charts mm-hmm. right exactly and honestly like it's expected right 
Mm-hmm. Like the idea that, you know, you've lost your community, you're disembedded, you're no longer physically present with any of like the communities that you were with. So you have to kind of create your own yeah. identity and like uh, meaning in life, which leads me to our ism of the week. Huzzah. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm just i'm wondering is it going to be solipsism no it's actually quite optimistic uh oh, in fact good. it is optimistic nihilism oh but what optimistic nihilism so optimistic nihilism is the belief that there is no inherent meaning in this life world universe and that is a freeing piece of knowledge that allows you to create meaning at your own will and design your own life path because there is nothing that can hold you back from doing that because you have all the power in your sphere and so this comes out of uh the philosophy of camus who said that we must imagine sisyphus happy Okay. Because ultimately, so, Sisyphus is in control of his own destiny. Rolling he isn't out. in control. Or he isn't in but control. But he can decide. He can decide, yeah. yeah and okay. the happiness that he gets is derived from the struggle of pointlessness. They can and so still, as long as we keep struggling and rebelling against pointlessness, we will be happy. I mean, that's something. <laughs> So on uh, on that existential note, I will say for anyone who's interested in a good like picture of what optimistic nihilism looks like, I would recommend the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once. The husband in that movie is a picture perfect, happy Sisyphus. He puts googly eyes on everything because it makes him happy and it has no point and it doesn't matter but he can ultimately do it and he ultimately gains something from it. And so that's yep. good in the end. Okay. Go find your googly eyes. Go find your googly eyes. And I guess on that note. On that note. Goodbye. Suffer and be happy. <laughs> Ooh, no, no, no. <laughs> be happy and may you remove suffering. <laughs> goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>